Good morning, good morning. Um, I, I, you know, I always, on a, on a snowy day, I always know the people who are here are the ones who want to be here. So uh, thank, you, thank, thank you all for coming today uh, to church. Um, it was 60 degrees yesterday. That's, I don't know. I don't know. Um, good morning. My name is Sam. Like, uh, like some, of you, some of you know, I lead the youth group here at Calvary Chapel. And uh, Pastor Steve is visiting his daughter in Virginia. Um, his daughter is my sister, and so that makes me his son, for any of you uh, who didn't already know that. Um, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with prayer today. All right. Father God, thank you for today. Father God, I agree with Jordan, Lord. Let, let the words that come from this uh, pulpit be your words, Lord, your words to minister to all of us here. Um, we love you. We need you. Um, in Jesus' name, I am asking amen. Amen. Okay, so um, I'm teaching topically. I'm teaching topically today. Normally at Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and that's an amazing way to teach the Bible because you don't miss anything right? You don't miss anything. You can't get your pastor's favorite topics. His, you know, he doesn't leave out the ones that he doesn't like. He's just going through the whole Bible. You also don't mix, miss the context because every week, you know, the context is what happened the week before and what happened the week before that. But I can't do that. I can't just like zoom in with, with all the context. So um, the passage where we're going to start today, but we're going to be all over the place. The passage where we're going to start today is in Judges, in the book of Judges, Chapter 6, chapter 6. Um, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible um, at all, just please keep the one that Solomon gives to you as a gift from the church. Um, Judges, chapter 6. Judges is in the beginning of the Bible. It's... The seventh book of the, of the Bible, Genesis after, after Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, number seven. I'm right about that. All right, we there? Judges chapter six, um, verse 11, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Father God, please bless our time in your word today. Amen. So today I'm going to be talking about leadership. Uh, Gideon's not the only leader that I'll be uh, that we'll be um, hearing about today, uh, but he, you know, he is the first one. Gideon lives during an interesting time in Israel. For for some of you, some of you may already know kind of like how the history of Israel plays out. But Israel is enslaved in Egypt for quite a long time. And Moses brings them out of Egypt, and Moses is a very good leader. We'll actually touch on him a little later. And Moses' protege is Joshua, and they eventually come into the promised land. And he's after that time, but he's before King David. 
So King David was kind of the, the righteous sort of culmination of what leadership, you know, what they were hoping for in a leader. So he's between Moses and Joshua and, uh, and David in this period of time called the period of the judges. And the verse that describes this time very well in the book of Judges, it's actually repeated several times, is Judges 17, verse 6. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Ladies, fill in her own eyes for you. Um, Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, this time in Israel's history is really marked by highs and lows. A lot of Israel's history is like that. Sometimes the people would be following God, and then there would be prosperity. Uh, But after a while of prospering, they got lazy, they slipped deeper and deeper into sin, and then there would be suffering and judgment. And it would be deep suffering and deep judgment. Uh, and And after a while, they would cry out to God again, and God would send them a judge the word judge isn't great for us, is it? Because what do we think of when we think of a judge? We think of, you know, a, a, like a robe and a gavel and he's and sitting up there. This is not that kind of judge. A, maybe a better way to think of it is a, a deliverer, right? A deliverer. He sends them a deliverer. And they would cry out to God and he would send a leader to deliver them. And we meet Gideon uh, when the Israelites are in this low, low time. A lot of disobedience, a lot of worshiping idols, a lot of worshiping idols and suffering. And in their suffering, in their disobedience, they cry out to God and God called a man to lead him. And so, and this is how he calls him. He's, the angel of the Lord sits beneath the tree in, Oph- in Ophrah that belonged to Joash. Joash was Gideon's father. And Uh, Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. And he said, the Lord said, the angel of the Lord said to Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So this is Gideon at his calling. Now, what is odd about this picture is lost to many of us. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Threshing wheat, maybe you've seen this before in a movie, because I've definitely never seen it done live, uh, is you, you, you get all the wheat kernels, right? And you th- maybe you've seen this before, and it's in a big sieve, and you throw it up into the air. Has anyone ever seen this before? And then stuff falls back down and some stuff blows away. The stuff that's falling back down is the good wheat kernel, the stuff that you want to eat, and the stuff that's blowing away is the stuff that you don't want to eat, right? So... They, what do you need? What do you need if you're going to do this? You need some wind, right? And a wine press is a hole, okay? So he's threshing wheat, you know, in a wine press. There's no wind in this wine press. Uh, You don't, that's something you do on a hill, but because the Midianites were oppressing the nation, Gideon is doing this in a pit. Scripture is pointing out this on purpose, okay? He's pointing this out. Uh, God is pointing this out to us because he wants us to get that this guy is a coward, okay? But God calls him anyway. Gideon, 
asks for a sign, and God gives him a sign, and then God gives Gideon his first job. God says, I want you to get rid of the false idol that's in the middle of the town, all right? Judges 6, 27, you see what Gideon does here, Judges 6, 27, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Why does scripture tell us that he did it at night instead of in the daytime? We're supposed to understand, we're supposed to get from this passage that this guy isn't brave enough to do it in the daytime. You know, it's a, he's hiding, he's sneaking around. But he's called. And even though he's fearful, he's obedient. Not ideal, but obedient. Now God gives Gideon his big task. His big task is driving out the Midianites, freeing the land from their oppression. Judges 7, chapter 9, says that that night, uh, Judges 7, verse 9, Judges chapter 7, verse 9, says that night the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. That's the camp of the Midianites. Go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Someone take a guess what Gideon decides to do. Next verse. So he and his servant Pura went down to the outposts of the camp. Gideon had fear. He had a real deep fear. God does not want his servants, his people, to be afraid. God hasn't given us a spirit of, pe of fear, but of power and a sound mind. Gideon has fear, but he's still called, and he's still obedient. He wasn't perfect. Jo God had chosen Gideon to lead his people, to deliver his people, despite Gideon's flaws, which were right on the surface. You know, you, you talk with Gideon, you see what he's doing, there they are, confronting you. There's a whole lesson in there, I think, for some people in this room, that God uses flawed people, but it's not today's lesson. <laughs> the next leader we're going to talk about is Hezekiah. That's, uh, the passage we'll be reading is in 2 Kings. 2 Kings verse 18, or chapter 18, um, Verse 3 through 7, the first part of chapter 7. He was called by God to lead Israel. Let's see how he started. He, Hezekiah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father, this, is his aunt, this means his ancestor, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the high places. He smashed the, the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. Those are, those are idols that people were worshiping. He broke in pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord, and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses 
and the Lord was with him, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. Wow. Who here would like to be a little bit like Hezekiah? Raise your hand if that applies to you. Is successful in whatever he undertook. Can you imagine that? Oh my goodness. He's called, he obeys, he succeeds in a major way. Let this verse sink in. It's important for me to remember sometimes that every verse in scripture is there on purpose, okay? So if a verse is there, that means that God wanted you to read it and he wanted 2,000 years of people to read it because it was true, it was truer than true. He decides to say about Hezekiah, there is no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Wow, talk about a good leader. God is willing to go so far as to say, this guy's the, he's the guy, he's the man. It's, it's the inspired and perfect word of God. And he decides to include this detail about Hezekiah, which makes it true, super true. Imagine if scripture said, Pastor Steve is kind of funny, okay? Imagine if scripture said that. That would mean that beyond the shadow of a doubt, we would know that he was funny, and that's funny for me because I'm his son. And I've been hearing his jokes for two decades. Verse 7 says that the Lord was with him, Hezekiah. He was successful in whatever he undertook. This is a wonderful leader, guys. This is an amazing leader. Verse 7 says uh, he, this, he, he, he also obeys God when it's unpopular. That note in verse 4, it says he smashed the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people were worshiping it. That thing is like 500 years old at that point. Think about that. Think about, that would be like me putting a stick of dynamite under the Liberty Bell because people were praying to it, right? Whoa, <laughs> like this is a relic of their history, of their religion, and people had begun worshiping it, and Hezekiah was like, not happening anymore and he broke it in pieces. He smashes it in, in pieces. A bold move. He's called by God, he's fiercely obedient, and he's successful. But after all this good stuff, and there was a lot of good stuff, pride comes in. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 25 talks about it. It says, but Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, the favor shown him by God. For his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. What did he do? I'm going to summarize part of it. Um, some folks came from a foreign land called Babylon and they came in and they said, wow, Hezekiah, we have heard all these amazing things about you. You've been so successful in literally everything that you do. How is that possible? You've beaten your enemies in battle. You've recovered from this deadly disease. There are so many things. Amazing. How do you do it? That's a paraphrase. <laughs> and Hezekiah and this is also a paraphrase, says, guys, wait until I show you everything else I have going on. And this is not a paraphrase. Second Kings 
chapter 20, verse 13 says, there was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. So they come, wow, they're doting on him and Hezekiah is feeling it. He likes it and he shows them everything. He shows them all his riches, everything that he's done. Who do you think is getting the credit for all of this? Hezekiah, you better believe it. And a prophet comes to rebuke him and says, wrath is coming on this country because of your pride. How would a prideful person respond to this? 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 19 says, the, Lord, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? So what's his response? The prophet says, there's judgment coming on Israel, on the, on the kingdom of Judah because of you. And he says, well, at least it's not going to be while I'm alive. <laughs> you know, thank God. You know, someone else will deal with that. I'm going to be dead. How lame is that? His heart is filled with pride. Who's he thinking about? Himself. Ugh, gives me the creeps. But he's called. He's called by God. He obeyed God. And he really messed up right here. Now remember, this is scripture. So God is including these details about Hezekiah on purpose. Because there's something about leadership that we're supposed to know. We see a guy in Gideon. He's called. And right away, in the beginning of his leadership, he's full of fear. And he like, doesn't shake it for a while. He's fearful in the beginning. And God tells him to do something, he's fearful. And then God tells him to do something else. He's fearful again. Fear, fear, fear. But he's called. And he obeyed. And Hezekiah, Hezekiah had been a good king for quite a while. And sometime in the middle, he's full of pride. He would rule for quite a while longer. At that point, he could only think about himself. A lot of people would die when, when this prophecy came true. But he can only think about himself. But he was called. And he obeyed. What about Moses? We talked a little about, about Moses before. Moses had an amazing calling, an amazing calling. His mother saves him from death by hiding him in a basket and putting him in the river. He's found by the king's daughter, and he's raised as a prince. He's raised in luxury. He grows up in the palace, and he sees his people being oppressed by the king, and he kills someone. He's trying to make it right, so he kills someone who's hurting one of his people. But he has to flee. He has to flee into the wilderness. He lives for 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years. I'm not even 30 yet. <laughs> so I have to do that all again, and then 10 more years. To, that's what Moses did in the wilderness. And at the end of those 40 years, God calls him to say to the king of Egypt in Exodus Chapter 9, verse 1, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may serve me. And God works miracles through Moses. He leads the people out of slavery. God gives the law to Moses. 
And Moses spends time with God. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11 says, So the Lord used to speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. That also gives me the shivers. Can you imagine? God includes this detail about Moses. He wants us to know this man is my friend. Imagine that. The creator of the universe considers Moses a friend. It's not Moses saying, that guy's my friend. It's God saying, he is my friend. This is special. He's called miraculously. He obeys spectacularly. Miracles and the plagues and he parting the Red Sea and many other things. And he's God's friend. But by the end of his life, very soon, Israel, they had gotten out of Egypt, they were wandering in the wilderness, and they were going to enter into the promised land. They were going in. And Moses messes up. The Israelites are in the desert, and they're thirsty. And they go to Moses and complain. Now, if you read uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They do this all the time. They complain all the time to Moses. This is decades of complaining. Can you imagine? I can barely withstand 10 minutes of complaining from my cute children, you know, but th there's a mass of smelly and disgruntled people who are complaining just nonstop to Moses. And they do it again. They, in Numbers chapter 20, verse 3 through 5, the Israelites say, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It is no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. You, I'm, I'm adding to their tone a bit there. I don't know if you can tell. Um, so Moses goes to talk with God, and verse 7 says, The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly of Israel together, and speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out, and the community and livestock drank. Moses lost his temper. He disobeyed God in front of the whole nation as well. What did God tell him to do? Speak to the rock. What did he do? Hit the rock two times. Right? He disobeyed God. He lost his temper. He had anger issues. This wasn't the first time that, that Moses lost his temper. But he was called. And he obeyed. And so this all brings me to my point. 
Why are you all here? Are you here for the leader, for the man? What happens when the leader messes up? When he's acting in fear? When he's speaking in pride? When he can't think about you, he can only think about himself. When he's reacting in anger? When he strikes instead when he should speak? What about when he doesn't perform as well? When he doesn't speak as well as you like? I tell you what, there's always a better speaker. A funnier speaker, a smarter speaker. The question you should ask yourself is, is he called? Does he obey? What about you? Many of you are obeying God's call on your life. And obeying God's call on your life has led you to this seat this morning. You are supposed to be sitting where you're sitting. You are supposed to be sitting next to the person who you're sitting next to. You're supposed to be hearing God's word preached week after week, worshiping God together with this assembly week after week, praying together week after week. That's what you're supposed to do. It's a, it's, it, it, it's a wonderful thing to know that you're in God's calling. This is where you're supposed to, that you are where you're supposed to be. If you're here for another reason, you'll find better music. If you're here because the people are nicer than in the last place, you'll find nicer people. If you're here because the vibe feels good, you'll find better vibes. And if you're here because the preaching is smart or funny, let me tell you, as the son of the man who usually stands up here, you'll find someone funnier. If you think the man who is called to be up here is perfect, he never acts out of fear, he's always humble, he always treats people with the respect that they deserve. He never speaks in anger. If you are here because you think that the man who is called to be here is perfect, he'll let you down. And if you're not called to be here, Paul writes what so many in the church in the last days will do in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says to Timothy, The time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. You know what that sounds a whole lot like to me? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Way back in Judges. Way back. The thing about the Bible that, is, that just is never lost on me is that it's true that it's true, but it's, it's like it's still happening today, right? It's truer than true. The stuff that Gideon was dealing with is going on in some of your lives right now. The same with Hezekiah and the same with Moses. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. <laughs> That's happening today. It's a dangerous place to be. 
And when, and that's an important word, when, not if, the leader who has been called lets you down, when he lets you down, either because he said something that was true that you really didn't like, or he did something bad and he messed up and he spoke to you in a way he shouldn't have spoke to you, or he was fearful and he didn't want to do something that he should have done. Or he was prideful and he wasn't thinking about you when he ought to have been. When the leader lets you down, then what? Has the man been called? Has he been obeying and walking in his calling? What about you? Where are you called to be right now? Here's a clue. Where's your mind right now? If you believe that you're meant to be here right now, your mind is here right now. It's not on a man or a woman, even if they're sitting next to you, or a football game, or a holiday tomorrow, or a political party that you like or don't like, or a job that you do or don't have, or do or don't like, or your family. It's here on a Sunday morning. If we believe that we're supposed to be here on Sunday morning, then on a Sunday morning, we're expecting to hear God speak to us through an imperfect man who has been called. If you're calling, if you know you're calling, then even when that man acts in fear or pride or anger, if you know your calling, then you know where you should be. All three of these leaders, Gideon with his fear, Hezekiah with his pride, Moses with his anger, one just starting out, one right in the middle of his ministry, and one at the end of his life. All three of these flawed men were nonetheless called by God and they were obedient. And you could find yourself opposing them, but then you would find yourself opposing God. In all three of these men's lives, there was people within and there was people without, people in the nation and people outside of the nation who opposed him. And he was, he was flawed, but that's not the point. The point is that God called him. And so, in opposing the man that God called, opposing the flawed man, the fearful man, the prideful man, the angry man, they found themselves opposing God. Tell me how you think that works out. Not well. It doesn't mean that God won't discipline a leader who messes up. And this isn't an excuse for leaders to just excuse themselves and do whatever they want. James chapter 3, verse 1, in the, in the last part of the verse, says that teachers will incur a stricter judgment. But this morning, it's not about them. It's about us. It's about you. About your attitude towards leadership. 
And we live in a country where it's all about me. I'm basically my own God. I'll do whatever I want, right? You know, it, and in the story of Christianity, there was the, there was the Reformation where part of the church broke off and said, we need to be reading the Bible for ourselves. And so people read the Bible and they said, does this mean I should get my, another car? That's, is that what you mean when you say, please take care of the poor? Does this mean I should, you know, take care of myself more? Right? We live in a culture, in a world where it's me. And that's not the way that God meant it to be. Christ died for you, and he also died for a body. He died for a group. He wanted the church. A leader who is called will, by God's grace, walk towards Christ and bring others with him. And just like you and just like me, a leader who is called and who is obeying will become more and more like our Savior, and just like you and just like me, that leader might fall and stumble and not treat you the way that you deserve to be treated and not do the things that you wish that he would do. Oh, that when we stumble, that we stumble towards Christ. Oh, that when we fall on our face, that we fall towards the cross. The leaders in this church and in many churches are called. They are supposed to be here divinely before they were born. They were meant to be leaders here. And they are not perfect. And that's a hard thing to learn, isn't it? It's a hard thing to learn. It's like learning that your parents aren't perfect. It's a hard thing to learn that they need your prayer. They need your prayer. They need your patience sometimes. They need your forgiveness sometimes. They need your encouragement all the time. And the question is that when they mess up, the question is, in spite of their faults, are they meant to be here imperfect as they are. Given their calling to lead and our calling, what should our response be? Manuel, if you could, if you could come up and we're going to play a, a worship, we're going to start playing some worship songs. What should our response be? There are different kinds of folks here this morning. Some of you know firsthand that leaders are flawed and you have felt hurt by them in one way or another and there is bitterness in your heart. There's unforgiveness in your heart and I want you to know that you might be right. You might be all right, 100% correct that the behavior was not right, you were treated improperly. And today is the day where that complaint comes out and healing starts. Healing starts. Who does bitterness and unforgiveness hurt? It hurts 
you if you're the one who's holding on to it. Today is the day for letting that go, for repentance. Yeah, you can start. You can start strumming the guitar. <laughs> Today is the day for healing and for reconciliation. But you know what? God help you and me if I find myself opposing someone that God has called. It doesn't mean that you might not should go to another church, but opposing the one that God has called is dangerous. There's some folks here, I think, who are hearing for the first time ever that a leader can have flaws and that the leader needs their prayer and you have never prayed for your leader. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you do not have many fathers. You ought to be praying for them, for your spiritual fathers and mothers. Some of you are here for the wrong reason altogether. You're here for a girl, or for a guy, or for the music, or for the nice people, or the vibes. If that's you this morning, then unless you do business with God today, then I promise you, you will float to the next thing when it comes along. That's also a dangerous place to be, a boat without an anchor. And some of you here, I think, don't know Jesus at all. You don't know what it's like for God to have a call on your life. You don't know what it means to be part of a body, to be part of a, a group that has been called to be together. You don't know that Jesus has purchased this body with his death and resurrection. And you don't know that you are under God's wrath as the just punishment for your rebellion. All these things, all these things can change today. They should change today. If you know you have bitterness in your heart towards a leader, today's the day. If you know that you ought to be praying more for a leader, today is the day. If you're a Christian without an anchor, today's the day to find one. And if you're a person who doesn't know Jesus, today's the day to meet him. If any of those things apply to you, we're going to have some people coming up to pray. And if the prayer couples could come up, we're going to have some people coming up to pray. And if those things apply to you, today's the day to come and pray about it. But I recognize that there might be some people in here who, that those things don't apply to you. You have let go of bitterness and unforgiveness. You've been praying for your leaders. You have an anchor. You know your calling. And you know Jesus. If that applies to you, and only you, because some of you need to be coming up and praying through some of this stuff, I want you to find one or two people next to you and pray for the leaders in our church. Or if you're new here today, pray for the leaders in your home church. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your son who 
came and lived as a man. I love the way that it was said before, Lord. He died the death that we deserved. He lived the life that we ought to have lived. And he bought us by his blood. And he raised from the dead to prove that he did. And he bought a church. He bought a body. And he called us. He gave us a calling. Father God, reveal your calling to many here today. I pray that there would be many today who are ready to move forward in one way or another. We love you, Lord, and we need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Now's the time.